Ladies and gentlemen, a big Ledbury Poetry Festival welcome to Event 16, Versopolis Poetry. I have some thank yous. First of all, Arts Council England for sponsoring the festival. Then Versopolis for bringing this to us. Um, Culture Ireland and the Creative Europe programme of the EU. Without further ado, I'm going to hand over to Chloe Garner, Festival Director, who will introduce the poets. Thank you, Chloe. Hello, thank you all for coming. So I'm going to say just a very few words to introduce Vesopolis, uh, in case some of you who are here um, don't know uh, what it is. Um, it's um, a project that Ledbury Poetry Festival has been involved in for um, four years. This is the fourth year now. And um, as Fran mentioned, it's funded uh, through Europe. It's a Creative Europe-funded project. And what it does is um, it aims to promote emerging European poets to enable poets more at the beginning or uh, at the first stages of their career to be translated and to travel and to meet poets from different countries uh, within Europe. Because traditionally, it's uh, often only when you're very famous and very established that you get to go and travel and meet, meet other poets. So the idea is to enable that to happen earlier and to see um, what that might generate and what, what might come out of that as, as well. And the way it works is that there are 13 festivals in countries all over Europe who um, are able to um, select poets and promote them to each other. And then the poets are invited to read at the different festivals. And um, when you're invited to read, you're then translated and published in a chapbook, which um, has been uh, brilliantly and beautifully uh, edited and printed for us by Glenn Storhaug of Five Seasons Press in Hereford. So that's a really wonderful thing. I think all of you probably have um, those chapbooks now. I hope you have. Um, and so um, that's uh, an overview of the project. Vesopolis also has a review, which is an online magazine, and um, we, we, were in, we were invited to guest edit the Vesopolis review. And so I invited Sarah James, who is um, a publisher and poet um, based in Worcester, uh, to be the guest editor for the Vesopolis review. And so you will hopefully start to see um, up there um, essays, reviews, and interviews commissioned by Sarah. Uh, so she's interviewed Sandeep Palmer. Margaret Adkins, who's reading uh, later on in the festival, um, has written an essay, as well as Jean Atkin, who's our troubadour of the hills, Margaret. So I can see her smiling. And, um, and also our, one of our Ledbury emerging poetry critics, Jade Cuttle, has also um, uh, written some reviews for us for that. So it's really um, a kind of a project that spreads tentacles across Europe, and it's a real um, pleasure and delight to be part of. Um, so I'm now going to say a bit about quickly about the format for uh, this event. So we've got an hour and a half, so you all need to relax a bit because you're going to be here for a while. And, um, and what we want to do for the first time um, is to enable a, um, a bit of conversation and a chance to ask questions. And um, 
uh, find out a bit, uh, a bit about the poets that way. So the way we're going to do it is we're going to start by, I will introduce each poet one by one. They'll come up onto the stage. I'll kick off by asking a few questions. And then um, I hope that our conversation, the questions might generate some thoughts, ideas, things you might wish to ask. So I'm going to invite people to join in. And then, um, then we're going to uh, move into the readings. And uh, the reason for that, we did a lot of agonizing and soul searching, which is what's happening a lot, isn't it, in England over Europe, and how, how do we, how do we, uh, uh, how, what the future's gonna be in Europe, all that sort of thing. So we thought, actually, it's lovely to finish with poetry, possibly, rather. So that was the thinking behind that. But I do welcome um, your feedback if you don't think that that was a good way to do it. <laughs> so. Um, and I'm going to introduce our poets in alphabetical order. So the first poet I'd like to um, introduce is um, Darine Nigofra. And um, one of the privileges, as I said, of the project is that Lebri can nominate poets to join um, the platform. And this year, the nominated poets that Lebri Poetry Festival selected were Varni Capaldeo, Jacob Polly, and Darine. And um, because Doreen has not read at Ledbury before, this seemed like a perfect opportunity to invite her um, to join um, her fellow Versopolis poets. Doreen is a bilingual writer born in the west of Ireland, living in Cork. And she writes both prose and poetry in both Irish and English. And she's won numerous awards. Her latest books are Lies, which, draw, which draws on a decade of her Irish language poems in translation, and Nine Silences, which is a collaborative book with acclaimed visual artist Alice Mayer. And um, Doreen's artistic practice often involves these collaborations across poetry, film, dance, music. So um, Doreen, would you like to join us as the first poet? <laughs> <laughs> And then um, our second poet is Augusta La, who was born and lives in Munich and Vienna, and is an artist, writer, and musician, and organizer of readings and festivals. Uh, she performs with her electric ac acoustic poetry duo, Kunst oder Unfall, with Karl Adis La, who's going to um, read with her, and has had numerous exhibitions and publications. So Augusta, please join us on the stage. And um, so then I would like to welcome Maya Lee Langvad, who is a writer, translator, and editor who lives in Copenhagen. Publications include Finding Holger Dane and She is Angry. She is co-editor of the Nordic literary magazine, Kritika, and she's currently translating Baby Precious Always Shines by American author Gertrude Stein and her partner Alice B. Toklas. So please come to the stage, Maya. <laughs> then I'm delighted to welcome Josep Pedrals, who was born in Barcelona and has performed thousands of recitals across Europe, Asia, and America, and received awards, including the Osaka International Slam. Uh, I saw Joseph perform in Madrid, and even though I couldn't understand the poems, uh, because of his performance, I was fascinated. I couldn't wait to read the English versions. So Joseph also writes theater plays, works in poetry education. Um, so please welcome him to the stage. 
And finally, it's a pleasure to welcome Indre Valentiniate, who was born in, in Kaunas in Lithuania. Her collections include of fish and lilies and tales about love and other animals. Um, and, and that collection won the Young Yacht Veningian Prize. Uh, so, and I was actually in Vilnius when this prize was awarded to another poet in 2017, so I know it's a big deal. I, I, I got that there. And her poems are translated by the superb Antonia Lloyd-Jones. Uh, so, uh, please welcome Indre to the stage. Uh, my opening question is just to ask you uh, to talk a bit about how place has formed you as a poet. Um, place has been hugely important to me as a poet and it's so integral to everything that I am as a writer and, and as a person. Um, I grew up in a place, a very um, small rural area where my family has lived for like 600 years. So... Um, Everything that I grew up seeing had been seen very many times before <laughs> and the same routines and every path and every road had been worn by by the feet of our family there. Um, and that felt very important to me as I began to write. And it's something that I try to honour a lot in my work um, to honour the lives of the women in particular, because oftentimes the stories that we were told as children had to do with the men and, and things that would have occurred to them within that place. And um, so some of my work has dealt with the excavation of the stories of women and finding the women within that landscape. Yes, yes place for me is not very important. Because I'm occupied with many professions, I'm artist, I'm a poet, I'm, I'm also festival director, and I have not much time to write, though I write anywhere and everywhere. Uh, but I like it most in trains, when I go from Munich to Vienna, back and forth, this is always very nice to write about. Oh, no, well, don't, I mean, please don't stick with that. Just whatever seems right. <laughs> um, I would say that the place isn't the most important thing. Of course, it influences, and it may influence a lot. Uh, in, yes, I use many ge geographical uh, places, the names of, of them in my poetry, but uh, it's, it's like a dress. Even it's a folk costume, and it differs. Still, a body, uh, the main thing, and the soul of a poem stays the same. It's just the, the dress, that, which may change depending on on the uh, country. Um, I think for me, um, place is uh, quite important in my writings. Um, since I was born in Korea and grew up in Denmark and my um, my writing is about being in between those two places and also cultures and families and so on um, and uh, since I write in, in Danish I, uh, I, I write first of all I think for a Danish audience but I always also have in mind the Korean audience even though 
it's not possible for me to to um, to write directly to a Korean audience. So so I always have these two places in in mind when I write. Well, in my case. Uh I understood the, the question in another way, but uh, I feel that the place for me is very important because I grew on, on, on my father's library. And, and it's, it's, a, it's a very huge library, now it's mine. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it's more than 25,000 books. So it, it's, it was very nice to, to be there, but I, I realized that when I was, uh, when I grew, uh, than now. <laughs> Thank you. So um, I'd like to ask you then about um, the, the um, I in, in poems, in your poems and, and, in, and in poetry, and, uh, or um, uh, as well about truth in some ways in poetry and what you might think about that, because uh, readers often uh, ask about uh, who the I might be in a poem and, who, and that relationship with truth and poetry and how you might see that. So I'd be interested to hear your thoughts on that. It's something that's so interesting. Um, I've only been writing for 10 years and I feel like I'm very much in my infancy still in my, develop my artist artistic development. And something I've been thinking about a lot over the past year or so in terms of the I and what truth can mean within a poem. It's so slippery, mm -hmm. isn't it? It, mm -hmm. it just slips from your reach so quickly. And um, I came across a quote from the American poet Lucy Brooke Broido, and she said, don't be afraid to tell the truth, even if it's a lie. <laughs> I love that. And I think that can be so meaningful to all of us who write poems. Sometimes the poem just wants to be written and it's hard to pin it into, is this truth or a lie? And is that even a false dichotomy? So it's definitely something that needs a lot of thinking about. Mm, yes, um, I was thinking about this truth and imagination thing. And most of the time it's changing places the imagined is the truth, and the truth is the imagined, and both are for a poem. But the poem creates itself, I think, and it chooses its truth. If it's a good poem, it chooses for itself. You cannot lie in a poetry. You can lie in prose, but you can do it in poetry. And if you do, it won't be poetry anymore. So, yeah, it's a strong thing. You better not to play with it. <laughs> well, and um, if, I don't know. I, I'm already got used to that. No matter if I say that it's a lyrical subject, people will still see me like performing in that story. So, but I stopped caring. If I want to tell somebody else's story, I just, with time, you you be, you are like you get more courage to do anything except you can't lie every other things are possible and affordable in poetry i think except lie so um i think for me um 
because I write in some kind of hybrid genre, somewhere between poetry and maybe documentary and testimony. So um, in my writing, truth is actually very important. Um, it's very important that um, that the reader believe that it's not something I invented, that it is actually uh, truth. Um, so in one of my books, I the, the book called She's Angry, I have this long, like, um, list of references in the end of the book, um, so the reader can actually see that this is um, um, the facts. It's not just yeah something I invented. So I think it uh, really depends on. Um, there's so many different ways to to write poetry, and there's so many um, I think uh, in between genres also when it comes to poetry. So I think it it it's um, it's different from everyone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, thinking about truth, uh, for me it's difficult, but uh, I mean, I, I make a difference between being sincere, uh, it's the pronunciation, sincere, and being honest. Uh, so I am honest, uh, because if, if I'm sincere, it's, it's, the poem becomes, uh, become, uh, uh, so popular, but not, not, not. It's not um, interesting. But if I am honest, writing, I, I think it's it's more interesting, and maybe it's closer to the truth. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Joseph, why don't you hold on to the mic and then you can start oh. first? Otherwise, you're always the last to speak. Has anybody got any thoughts yeah. or anything? Uh, yes, lovely, Glenn. Um, just uh, something too. Uh, little uh, references, uh, lines from poems, uh, came into my mind when Josep, in the previous round of um, uh, discussion, uh, talked about his library being his place. And the first thing that just sprang immediately into my mind is uh, Prospero in yes. Shakespeare's Tempest. Uh, as you know, Prospero was exiled from Milan, where mm -hmm. he was the duke, and he says, uh, my library was dukedom large enough. He didn't need anything else except his library. I always loved that. My library was dukedom far, uh, large enough. And the other thing, leaping forward to a contemporary poet, though he's 90 next year, Gary Snyder, the American poet, has a wonderful poem from the time when he worked as a merchant seaman, uh, sailing all around the world on merchant ships. And he uh, wrote a poem with a lovely title, On Reading Blake During a Typhoon in the South China Sea. <laughs> and, and he just has this beautiful line in it. You know, he's far from home. He's stranded in a typhoon on some rusty old uh, ship in the South China Sea. But he's not lost because he says quite simply, my language is home. If I got my language, what I'm thinking or what Blake is writing in front of me, I'm home, wherever I am. So I, I just Well, like it's a, it could be a question, in fact, about do you think language has particularly formed you as a poet and your language? Do you think that has uh, affected how you write, the kind of poet you are. It'd be interesting to hear any thoughts. Yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, 
I write in Catalan, so it's, it's a, a very long tradition uh, of literature and poetry, and but it's not a, a big language. So it's it's a little culture and a little world, but it, it gives me uh, uh, some freedom. I think in English, for me, maybe it, it's not possible because. In Catalan, there are a lot of things that nobody has written before. <laughs> I mean, it, we are not a lot of people, so it's it's very nice to be a part of a, a little culture in this case. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm sure language has a, has a big. Uh, or plays a, a big role. Um, I think for every writer, um, there's a sensitivity to language in itself. And then there are the native languages, of course. Um, and I, um, well, for me, I, 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 I love to write in Danish. Um, and at the same time, I'm, I'm also very aware that I lost my Korean language. So, so to write in Danish comes with a price, and that is that I, I uh, to master Danish fully, I had to give up Korean totally. So it's always, I have always this ambivalence um, towards the Danish language, I must say. Um, yeah. Um, for me, language is a tool. Because first of all, you see the story, you have it in your, in your heart, in your head. And then you just like uh, translate it into words, you put it into words. So. Of course, I, I love Lithuanian language, and it sounds beautifully to me. But I don't think that these stories would be different if I would be born in England, for example. It's like a pen, if the ink in it, it's uh, blue, green, red, whatever. The poem written in it, the, it, it it'd still be the same. Um, so I'm from Ireland and our language was greatly imperiled by colonialism. And it's um, a small miracle that it has survived to the extent that it has. So every time I open my mouth and speak my language, it's a political act. And it feels very powerful to me as such because this is a language that has survived and that people died on its behalf that I could speak that language. And yet English is my first language. So I can identify to a certain extent with Maya's sense of ambivalence. I'm very grateful to have English in my life and to be able to articulate myself in English. Um, but I'll always feel torn um, and disloyal when I speak English to a certain extent. So it's strange and it's complicated for me. Mm. A lot of Irish people would have very different stories to tell. That's my personal mm. one. Okay. For me, um, uh, writing poetry is uh, like experimenting and experiencing language. Um, when I grew up in the 60s, um, from my father's side, I was uh, uh, growing up in a Bavarian dialect, it's some kind of German dialect. And from my mother's side, she, was, she is Swiss, in Swiss dialect. and so. I was not really speaking the proper German, high German language, and we, 
my brothers and me, we were like outcasts in school. So we had to learn <coughs> our language and to, um, and therefore I began writing poetry first with imaginary language. I made syllables and words for myself and then I adopted some kind of language I'm in now with, from time to time, also with some strange words from other languages. <coughs> English, French, Italian. Mm -hmm. uh, next. Thank you. Well, um, oh yes, yeah. Please do take the mic. <laughs> this is interesting because when I was very, very young, when I was a kid, my first poems are made not using new words, but words that I don't understand. And I made poems in Catalan, but with words that has no mean altogether. But it was, it was nice. <laughs> Sorry, something. Um, I would like to just ask a little bit about um, the experience of being translated and um, how that has been for you. And uh, so maybe if you would like to talk a little bit about uh, that process and being translated or translating some people, have, you know, or how you, yeah. Um, well, yeah. I'm, I've been only translated into Swedish. Two of my books have been translated um, into Swedish. And, um, and um, then I have some excerpts from my book being translated into English and also Korean. And I think, of course, the biggest uh, difference in terms of uh, languages are from Danish to Korean. That's a huge difference. Um, just in, in, the, in my book, for, I can give you an example. This, she's angry. It's like uh, around about 250 pages long. And all the um, all the passages begins with she's angry. And in Korean, um, the verb is always in the end of the sentence, and the subject is um, is many times omitted. So that was a big challenge for the translator to actually um, keep some kind of rhythm, because you couldn't have that um, beginning line every time. Oh, sorry. <laughs> um, I can. I um, I used to say that uh, the poems poem lives as many lives as uh, it is written it is translated into many languages. Mm -hmm. So it's it's a big um, I don't know. I'm really happy being translated, and it's like amazing experience even to read these poems in English. I'm, I'm happy to do it. So I'm my own translator, which comes with its own weird set of problems and kind of um, strange solutions. And one of the things that I have found really strange about it, particularly with this book, which is like 10 years of Irish language poems, but translated by me. So I felt like I was revisiting all the different versions of myself, because we're all slightly different, you know you now and you in six weeks time there's a bit of friction there you know so i felt like i was going back in a weird time machine meeting all these slightly different versions of myself and then trying to kind of what we'd say put manners on them you know know what you meant to say was this <laughs> so it came with a whole host of its own problems and one of the things i really grappled with was the sense of um imperilment that i was like um putting my previous articulations in danger by trying to self-clarify. 
And that's part of the reason why I called it lies, because there's a, a certain amount of danger in um, being bilingual like that. And when most speakers who come to it speak only English and can't access the primary text of the poem in which it was first composed, they trust, like the um, A.K. Blakemore was speaking earlier, referencing Sophie Collins on translation, the sense of fidelity and the sense of intimacy that a translator can experience. When you're your own translator, you can get up to a lot of mischief. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I'm quite a mischievous person, so hence that title <laughs> covers me. Yes. Um, first, uh, thank you to Versopolis for <laughs> connecting me with my wonderful American <laughs> translator. And uh, we, have, we have different problems together because the German is very noun-oriented. There is a saying, by, there's an essay by um, Mark Twain, and he says the German language likes word procession, word processionen. You can hang one, uh, one noun onto the other, it's endless processions of words, <laughs> but you cannot um, really translate this into English, therefore it's challenging to do this. And we have lots of conversations, the translator and me, and I see that it's uh, also, if the poem had really a good translation, sometimes it's quite another poem. And I like it. <laughs> Mm -hmm. It's some mixture between the translators and mine. Also, it inspires me to, for a new project, to, make, uh, to translate my own poems from uh, earlier times into English and then translate them back into German. And maybe what the result may be a very new thing. <laughs> so I see the poem also as a... It's like an animal or something animated. Uh, well, in my case, uh, now I'm translating myself from Catalan to Spanish. And it's happening to me something like what Dorian said. It's, 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 it's very strange because when I start to translate the poems, I, I try to, to find first what's the thing I love most in, in, in the poem. So a pun or a, a metaphor or what's the... And I tried first to, to change it to the other language. And, but then when I have it in the other language, I, I, I start doing another poem. It's, it's, it's impossible because I, 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 I can write very, very well in Spanish. It's not... So it, it's, it's something strange in this case. But when I see myself uh, in, into English and translated by Anna Crow, is a... Mm -hmm. It's marvelous. You can listen after. Yes. <laughs> well, that's um, a moment to just ask. A, did, does anyone want to join and ask a question um, at this point? Yes. I speak both French and English, and I lived in Paris for many years. And when I my French became very fluent after a few years, I found I was a different person when I was speaking a different language. Do you find that with your poetry when it's you know, you, you're going into two languages and you, you also do your Catalan and your Spanish. When you speak in each of those languages, do you feel slightly like a different person? I don't know, but because I, 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 
I know Spanish since I was a, a boy, and, and Catalan too, so it's, it's uh, well, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> it just it <laughs> felt, I felt like I was slightly, um, yeah. almost performing. <laughs> Thank you. Um, for me, it's um, more the question I'm, I'm not sure if I'm this or that person at all. It's more about facets of the kind of me. Yes. yes. Maybe, yes. It's an addition. Yes. Mm -hmm. And this addition I like very much because I didn't know it before. It's <laughs> experiencing. Yes, it's, a, it's an interesting experience, yes. Um, I, I hear where you're coming from. I'm like that with French as well. And, and for me, with languages that I learned as I went on in life, like I didn't start speaking French until I was probably nine or 10. Um, I have much more of a sense of direct boundaries. So I feel like the weight of now I'm speaking French and I, I like you, I feel different in myself when I'm trying to articulate my thoughts in French. Whereas with Irish and English for me, much younger, and it just comes so fast that I, I don't, I just feel me in both languages. Yeah. Um, there are strange kind of changes between them, but it's so deep within me, I'd find it very difficult to pinpoint or articulate. But I hear what you're saying and <laughs> I, yeah, I know that feeling. Hi, do you think that different countries have different sort of emotional atmospheres? And if so, what do you think does a different type of poem come from a different country? Does it, is there a different flavour, a different emotional flavour of a different poem that comes from Germany, say, in comparison to England? Definitely, I think so. At the moment, I'm very much in love with poems from Eastern Europe. I like the direct way to express anger and to express love and everything. It's, this is not common in Germany. In, in Germany. In Germany, there's always some. No, this, the, the structure is more important, maybe. Well, I think um, I've been mostly um, focusing for the last couple of years on Scandinavian literature, and, I, and even though, um, for example, Danish, Denmark, and Sweden are so close, and in terms of languages, also quite close. Uh, there, there are still um, a lot of differences when it comes to, to literature and poetry. Um, I think, generally speaking, that, <clears throat> that Danish poetry um, can be serious, it's fine, but people expect, or the reader, Danish readers expect that it's always, always also a bit funny. It, it has to be a bit funny and a bit ironic. Um, um, where in Sweden, um, it doesn't have to be like that. And in Sweden, you can write with much more um, pathos, and it's fine. Whereas in Denmark, um, pathos is like a no-go. It's, it's too much. You have to be more humorous, more self-ironic, and so. So I see those, those small differences within the, the story yeah. country. Yeah. In, in the Catalan culture, after the civil war, there was a big exile of, of the Catalan writers. And, this is very, very curious because when you read uh, the Catalan authors that were in Mexico or the ones in Argentina, uh, uh, they write in, in another tradition. So it's, it's very funny to find that real, really the, the place makes something in, in, the, in the writing. Yeah. 
think that we are going to now hear the poems that we've been talking about. And Doreen is going to read first. So thank you. And let's thank them for wonderfully answering our questions. My name is Darren Negrifa, and um, it's my great honour to represent Ireland here today. Um, Ireland became a member of, well, what's now the EU in 1973. So when I was growing up, I grew up with a very strong sense of myself as both Irish and European. Um, so I'm really thrilled and honoured to be part of the Versopolis project and to be here. And I'm very grateful indeed to Chloe for inviting me to take part. So I, I'm very fortunate. I've been very, very lucky in my life. I have four healthy children, but before um, before I had them, I lost my first pregnancy, and I took great comfort at the time in certain aspects of the stories that I had inherited and in Irish folklore. They used to always say that the souls of dead infants would come back as sedge warblers, kind of bird at night and that they would sing outside the window to give their mothers comfort. So I'll always read in Irish first and then I'll read my own translation into English. Solas. Fui hyogyali maniha, the hyol kailta, filinshi o kriyaka kiana, atniam the vowel brinna, a hyol or a kiba, is fadalam. Listen. In midnight moon mist, in snatches of lost music, I've heard her return from the distance. Little visitor, your birthmark looks so familiar. My small warbler. Listen. Every night I'll wait, awake, facing north, until the last starlight fades. Find me, child. I yearn for your return. Um, I'm condoning Biagadaskar on deck, Noliach Balevnish. I think I, I wouldn't be being true to my generation if I didn't write a certain amount about the technologies that we use so much and that connect us, but also that facilitate the failures of connection between us. So the next poem is Asquail and it's in Irish as well. And um, it kind of speaks to Skype and FaceTime and all those little failures that, uh, that we have with our screens or behind our screens. So in Tedilatar and Dawn, no Gleach. Nihanglin in Horda Quail. Ain shrang telephone shin ni smo. E ramshin rivri ni hiklum the ro of ru ni squirra gomachluus. Ni clushum tu, ik analu. Anish, she an lina lag shan tain kangle a wine at a fork adrin. Agus titimid as a healer. A rish is a rished ella. Call. No slender thread, no telephone cord binds us anymore. Now that our computers call each other, I can't 
Press your voice to my ear. No longer can I hear you breathe. Now we are bound only by this weak connection and we break up and break up and break up. A wise person once told me, put the audience out of their misery. Let them know when there's only two poems left. <laughs> so this is the two poem klaxon. Um, the next poem is also about phones and the people who were with us yesterday will have heard this already so to them I apologise for inflicting it again. Um, the title of the poem is a word that I became really obsessed with a few years ago, it's crackalure, which was a new word to me at the time and it means um, the pattern of cracks that you see on the surface of an oil painting. And as a very clumsy person, that immediately reminded me of the many, many times I have dropped my mobile phone and the screen smashes and the face, that the photo that I've stored as a screensaver just ends up like covered in cracks, like an old oil painting. So this is my second poem about mobile phones and clumsiness, which is called Crackalure. Her tracksuit is pink velour. Her earlobes prettily golden hooped, and she shivers as we all do in this dim bus queue. At 5.56, some glitch, some distraction, some finger twitch slips the phone from her grip and sends it smashing into the pavement. We all flinch. Soon the bus moves us through streets, and suburbs and into the dark. Night makes a mirror of the window and makes me a spy. I sit behind her and pry. I watch her fingers move fast over that fractured glass, jabbing its lattice of cracks where a clock's digits progress still. Splintered italics eclipsing her child's smile, his face grown suddenly lined. A little ink begins to leak from the rifts and it grows dark. Oh, it grows dark and darker. Take us back, driver. Lurch this bus into reverse. As a conservator rewinds the lines from a painting's tempera eyes, bring us back. Let her lift her phone from the path unharmed. Let her shiver, check the time, sigh at her child's smile, then slide the phone back in her pocket, its digits slipping to 5.59. Um, and this is the last poem from me. It's called Pogin uh, Grainia, which is the Irish for freckle. It means sun kiss. So all these, I'm so many freckles, the sun just won't stop kissing me. Pogin Grainia. Scapin brickini grainia or grihid de fronia. Maravich baloga aun or crackin the mrack. At novin anishtri skahn the is tree hollis omra. Egdol Leshra. Freckle. The freckles on the bridge of your nose. Sing loud now with the speckled skin of a trout 
One who swims out through shallow glooms and amber-dappled beams, a dapper children swerving upstream. Thank you all so much for listening. Thank you. like to welcome Augusta Law, please. As you might have guessed, this is Augusta. <laughs> and, uh, I'm this is Kale Aldisla, he's my husband. And I'm honored to read uh, the English versions of uh, Augusta's lyrics. But I'd like to uh, take the um, opportunity to thank um, Ladbury Festival for inviting Augusta and like tolerating me coming along and performing <laughs> along. And uh, it has been mentioned in passing that Augusta is the director of a festival, I mean, so I, a festival, but it's a uh, matter of fact, it's one uh, la, rather large international poetry biennial and it's the only one worldwide. It's the only worldwide women's poetry festival. So that's exceptional. And uh, we found many poets here that we invited already to our festival. <laughs> This is the best <laughs> of, of meeting each other on a great festival like this. Yes. Also, Kale Aldis, he also was, was helping with the translations. Spinning records. Schallplatten aufliegen im Besteckkasten. Die Teller drehen sich. Messer und Gabeln verstreut zwischen Tag und Tablett. Einer wirft die Scheiben, der zweite will tanzen, dreißend am Klo. Die halbe Welt vergisst den Nachttisch. Die Blutsbrüder warten schon auf den Liebesdienst an der Treppe. Hey ho, die Schallplatten waren gut. Sie schmeckten süß wie Sahne und Zimt. Spinning records. Spinning records in the silverware drawer. The Plates rotate, the knives and forks scattered between day and tray. One flings the records, the second wants to dance. Three are in the toilet, half the world forgets the dessert. The blood brothers are already waiting for a labor of love by the stars. Hi-ho, the records were good. They tasted sweet like cinnamon and cream. Der Tod, der Teufel und der letzte Harry-Potter-Film. Davon wusste ich nichts, erst als die Postkarte kam. Er hat es nicht überlebt, den Kampf verloren, heißt es. Er liegt am Friedhof mit 17 Jahren, Bassist und Schwarzfahrer im luftleeren Raum. Wenn keiner mehr da ist, keine Bäume und so weiter, was machen wir jetzt alleine auf dieser Ebene, wenn sie grau ist, wie im letzten Harry-Potter-Film? So fiktives Elektronikgrau. Und warten auf Blitze aus solchen Händen. Und Augen, Fischlippen, nach hinten gewölbten Schädeln. Das wissen wir, wie der Teufel aussehen kann und dass er der Teufel nicht ist. Dann sitzen verhexte Kinder auf der Straße, werden immer dünner und sind dann weg. So spricht der Teufel im Fernsehen, zeigt uns, was wir nicht sind und lacht wie Harry Potter. 
Death, the Devil, and the Last Harry Potter Film. I knew nothing of it, not until the postcard arrived. He had not survived it, the battle lost, they say. He lies in a cemetery at age 17, bass player and fair dodger in airless space. If everyone is gone, no more trees and so on, what do we do now? Alone on this plane, when it's gray, like in the last Harry Potter film, such a fictional electronic gray, and wait for thunderbolts from such hands and eyes, fish lips, backwards vaulted skulls, that we do know what the devil looks like, and that he is not the devil, then bewitched children sit on the street, growing thinner and thinner, so they're gone. So, says the devil on television, shows us what we are not and laughs like Harry Potter. Ja, wenn die Schafe es sagen, machen wir es. Ich will mitfahren, ich will mitfahren. Letzt inniglich in der Hölle, oui non. Pastel Gosshaare, Handtaschen schwenken, Passacaglia, shop, shop, shop. Ich will weiterfahren, ich will weiterfahren. In sphärischer Dissonanz nach kugelförmiger Wallung hier rauskommen und verblassen. Ich bin mitgefahren, ich bin mitgefahren. An diesen Tagen spuken sie mir im Kopf im Kühler und weiter, weiter sagen es die Schafe, die Kröten, die Raketen. If the sheep say so, then we'll do it. I want to ride along, I want to ride along. Intimultamit, oh, I'm sorry, this is a word that doesn't exist and I'm having trouble with. Intimultimately, 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 so let's start again. I want to ride along, I want to ride along. Intimultimately, in hell, we know. Pastel, goth hair, swiveling purses, passacaglia, shop, shop, shop. I want to move on, I want to move on in spherical dissonance toward globular flushes, to get out here and fade away. I rode along, I rode along. In these days they haunt me, in my head, in the cooler, and spread, spread the word, the sheep, the toads, the rockets. This was one word It was really complicated to translate with intim ultimately. In German, it's letzt inniglich. It, it doesn't exist in German, too. <laughs> but now it does. <laughs> Was David Bowie's songs in meinem Kopf anrichten, let's dance. Er hat die Bilder nicht mehr gesehen. Er war müde und sein Namensschild am Eingang hatte jemand abgeschraubt über Nacht. Oder Faye Dunaway am Morgen nach ihrem Oscar-Triumph 1977 am Pool des Beverly Hills Hotels in High Heels und cremefarbenem Seidenbademantel oder die Galaxie der Buchstaben in Weiß. Ferndiagnose greifen wie in den Kitsch. Die Gegenwart ist ein komisches Tier, sagt Jean-Luc Godard und bekommt den Nobelpreis für Literatur. Oder mach's gut, Sprache, einmal eins der Gleichheit, wenn Träume schäumen am Abgrund die Apachen. Mochte ich am liebsten den Wald. Ja, schade, 
kein Wald mehr. Schluss damit und Schluss mit dem Honig. Wiederholungen. Oder das Grab von Pierre Priest am Friedhof in Gräfelfing, Oberbayern. Oder geben wir noch einen alten Spruch aus, geben wir die Freiheit, das eigene Wort, das Schlagwerk des Zufalls oder das dahingegangen, dahingegangen, Ferndiagnose. How David Bowie's songs mess around with my head, let's dance. He no longer saw the pictures, he was tired and the nameplate on his doorway had been screwed off overnight. Or Faye Dunaway, the morning after her Oscar triumph, 1977, by the pool at the Beverly Hills Hotel in high heels and cream-colored bathrobe made of silk. Or the galaxy of letters in white, remote diagnosis, reaching as into kitsch. The present age is a strange animal, says Jean-Luc Godard, and receives the Nobel Prize in Literature. Or take care language, times tables of equality when dreams foam on the abyss, the Apaches I like best, the woods. Yes, what a pity, no more poplars, no more options, and gone is the honey, repetitions. Or Pierre Brice's grave in the grateful thing cemetery, Upper Bavaria. Or let's hand out another old saying, hand out freedom, one's own word, the chiming mechanics of chance, or the passed away, stashed away, remote diagnosis. Also yesterday I found a beautiful David Bowie sticker in one of the thrift stores in Ladbury. The last poem, Unheimlich Schön, featuring Luc Ferrari. Die Frau heiratet einen Geist, die Hand nagelt die Schweinezunge an die Wand und Arthur Honegger, der ein Baseballmatch vertont, mit helvetischer Sackpfeife und Seeschlangenflöte aus Okinawa, an der Realität vorbeischlittern, im Ramones-T-Shirt, zur Herzschlag-Eröffnungssequenz von Dark Side of the Moon. DJ Hell reitet als Cowboy nach Silicon Valley, Donald Duck schleicht depressiv durch Entenhausen, The Future Sound of Unheimlich Schön, 15 Minuten, 40 Sekunden. Unheimlich schön, Uncanny Beauty, featuring Luc Ferrari. The woman marries a ghost, the hand nails the swine tongue to the wall, and Arthur Honegger, who sets music to a baseball game, with Helvetian bagpipe and sea serpent flute from Okinawa, skidding past reality in a Ramones t-shirt, to the heartbeat opening sequence of Dark Side of the Moon, DJ Hell rides to Silicon Valley as a cowboy. Donald Duck sneaks depressed through Duckburg, the future sound of Unheimlich Schön, 15 minutes, 40 seconds. Thank you. Thank you. You. I'd like to welcome Maya up to the stage.
Thank you very much for inviting me. I'm really glad to be here um, and um, be part of this Vasopolis um, event. I will start reading um, from my book, She's Angry, a testimony of transnational adoption. And I will read the first page in, in Danish and then um, I'll read it in English as well. Hun er vred over at være en importvare. Hun er vred over at være en eksportvare. Hun er vred over, at adoptionsbyråer i såvel afgiver som modtagerlande tjener penge på transnational adoption. Hun er vred over at læse et essay i Outsiders Within Writing on Transracial Adoption, at formidlingen af børn afgivet til transnational adoption indbringer Sydkorea mere end 15 millioner dollars om året. Hun er vred over, at adoptionsbyråer proaktivt søger efter børn, der kan afgives til adoption. Selvfølgelig skal man hjælpe børn, der befinder sig i en udsat position, men frem at være på udkig efter børn, der kan afgives til adoption, er at gå for langt, synes hun. Hvis man spørger hende, skulle man i højere grad fokusere på at hjælpe forældre til udsatte børn, så man undgår at separere børn fra deres forældre og oprindelige kultur. Hun er vred over at høre rygter om, at det amerikanske adoptionsbyrå Hold International Children's Services er på udkig efter nye markeder, heriblandt Nordkorea, hvorfra de kan rekruttere børn, der kan afgives til adoption. Hold International Children's Services formidler i forvejen adoptioner fra Bulgarien, Kina, Etiopien, Guatemala, Haiti, Indien, Sydkorea, Filippinerne, Rumænien, Thailand, Uganda, Ukraine, USA og Vietnam. Hvis styret i Nordkorea kollapser, vil man også kunne tilføje Nordkorea til listen. Det vil ikke for meget sagt, at Hold International Children's Services gerne ser, at styret i Nordkorea kollapser, så de kan få adgang til et nyt stort marked. Hun er vred over, at det i dag mere et spørgsmål om at finde børn til forældre, end om at finde forældre til børn. Det er også derfor, at der er opstået et fænomen som børnehøstere. Adoptionsbyråerne vil ikke behøve at betale nogen for at overtale udsatte forældre til at afgive deres barn til adoption, hvis det ikke var, fordi efterspørgselen på børn er større end udbuddet. Hun er vred over, at efterspørgselen på børn er større end udbuddet. And now the same in English, so you will all understand. She's angry about being an import. She's angry about being an export. She's angry that adoption agencies in both sending and receiving countries make money off transnational adoption. She's angry to read in Outsiders Within writing on transnational adoption that South Korea brings in more than $15 million annually through the mediation of transnational adoption. She is angry that adoption agencies proactively seek children who can be giving up for adoption. They should, of course, help children out of unsafe environments, but to be on the actual lookout for children who could be giving up for adoption is taking it too far, she thinks. In her opinion, there should be a bigger focus on directly helping the parents of vulnerable children to avoid separating those children from their parents and their original culture. She is angry to hear 
to hear rumor that the American adoption agency Hold International Children's Services is looking for new markets, including North Korea, in which they could find children who might be giving up for adoption. Hold International Children's Services already mediates adoptions from Bulgaria, China, Ethiopia, Guatemala, Haiti, India, South Korea, the Philippines, Romania, Thailand, Uganda, Ukraine, the US and Vietnam. If the regime in North Korea were to collapse, to collapse, North Korea could also be added to the list. It's probably safe to assume that the agency would like to see the North Korean regime collapse so they could gain access to a great new market. She's angry that adoption these days seems more like a matter of finding children for parents rather than finding parents for children. That's how a phenomenon such as child harvesting emerged. Adoption agencies wouldn't need employees to convince vulnerable parents into giving their child up for adoption if the demand for children didn't exceed the supply. She's angry that the demand for children exceeds the supply. And so it continues for 250 pages. There was so much to be angry about. So. <laughs> Um, so now I'll read um, a questionnaire for myself. Um, it's uh, in this book called, um, in English, it will be Finding Holger Dane Appendix. My first book uh, was called Find Ho Finding Holger Dane. Um, and I, and I, in, in that book, there are like um, some questionnaires for my um, my biological mother and my adoptive mother and, my, and, and some questions for myself. Um, and, uh, and then I wrote some new questions um, um, and I will read the, the new questions I wrote, I wrote after I met my, uh, my Korean family and the, the other ones were before I met them. And I will now read the 20 new questions um, for myself, to myself. And I will just read one page in Danish and then I will read all the questions in, in, in English. 20 spørgsmål til mig selv. 1. Kan du lide dine biologiske forældre? 2. Vil du ønske, at du har vokset op hos dine biologiske forældre i stedet for hos din adoptivmor, eller er du lettet over, at det ikke er tilfældet? 3. Kan du tilgive dine biologiske forældre, at de bortadopterede dig? 4. Har det påvirket dit forhold til din adoptivmor, at du har mødt dine biologiske forældre? Og hvis ja, hvordan? 5. I det tilfælde, at du er vred over at være blevet bortadopteret, mod hvem retter du da din vrede? A. Dine biologiske forældre. B. Din adoptivmor. C. Det sydkoreanske adoptionsbyrå, der formidlede din adoption. D. Det danske adoptionsbyrå, der formidlede din adoption. E. Markedskræfterne, det vil sige, du betragter transnational adoption som en industri. F. Den sydkoreanske regering. G. Den danske regering. H. Konfucianismen. I. Kristendommen. J. Andet. Understreg gerne mere end et svar. Twenty new questions for myself. 
One, do you like your biological parents? Two, do you wish you had grown up with your biological parents instead of your adoptive mother, or are you relieved that this was not the case? Three, are you able to forgive your biological parents for giving you up for adoption? Four, has meeting your biological parents affected your relationship with your adoptive mother? And if yes, how? Five, if you feel angry about being adopted, at whom do you direct your anger? A, your biological parents. B, your adoptive mother. C, the South Korean adoption agency that handled your adoption. D, the Danish adoption agency that handled your adoption. E, market forces, i.e. you consider transnational adoption an industry. F, the South Korean government. G, the Danish government. H, Korean culture. I, other. Please feel free to underline more than one answer. <coughs> Six, in your opinion, should one only be allowed to adopt a child with the same racial background? And if yes, if the child is mixed race, must the prospective parent have the same racial background as the biological mother or the biological father, or both the biological mother and the biological father in order to be allowed to adopt the child? Eight, do you take after your biological parents both physically and with regard to personality? And if yes, do you feel attached to them because you are alike? Nine, do you wish you had never contacted your biological parents? 10, do you consider using your Korean name? And if yes, A, for practical reasons, B, for political reasons, C, for personal reasons. 11, do you think the feeling of loss culturally, linguistically, etc., of not having grown up in South Korea will ever disappear? 12, would you like to learn Korean? 13, where do you imagine living in the future? A, in South Korea, B, in Denmark, C, in a third country. 14, do you see yourself as an immigrant in Denmark? 15, do you feel homesick when you are A, in South Korea, B, in Denmark, C, in both South Korea and Denmark, D, in neither South Korea nor Denmark. 16, do you fear that you will run into your biological sisters and their husbands by accident, or do you hope that it will happen? 17, is it possible for you not to take it personally that your biological family is keeping you secret from spouses, friends, colleagues, neighbors, etc.? 18. Do you think you will ever tell your biological family that you are lesbian? 19. How do you imagine your future relationship with your biological family? 20. Can you imagine breaking contact with your biological family? And if yes, A. Because they keep you secret from spouses, friends, colleagues, neighbors, etc. B. Because they pressure you to learn Korean. C, because they pressure you to marry. 
D, because of the language barrier. E, because you belong to a different social class than your biological parents, i.e. you feel uncomfortable when you are together. F, because you feel obliged to help your biological parents financially. G, because your biological parents demand money from you. H, because you are strangers to each other. I, because you're not interested in getting to know them as human beings. J, because you are bored in their company. K, because they do not live up to your idea of them. L, other reasons. Please feel free to underline more than one answer. Thank you. Thank you, Maya. Hilsep Pedral. Glenn is going to, to read the, the English version of the poems. And I'm going to read the Catalan one. <laughs> no, I think I'll read the Catalan. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm going to read first for two reasons. Firstly, obviously, so that when Josep is reading, you know what he's reading. And secondly, because it would be a disaster to end with sort of pretty dry, flat Anglo-Saxon after his beautiful musical Catalan. It would just be an insult to the Catalan. So, uh, and uh, I've heard Joseph read, and I'm afraid the English doesn't allow any of the music and passion of his Catalan. So you must forgive me for that. Or forgive the English language. <laughs> the find that carries the poem in it was hiding deep in vegetation. And not seeing her clear and well-defined, we didn't want to force any inspiration and left off creeping up on her from behind because it should be her own decision to show herself even for half a minute. La troballa que porta el poema s'amagava entremig dels matolls i en no veure la clara i concreta no volguérem forçar inspiracions i deixàrem d'anar-li al darrere perquè així fos per ella mateixa que es mostrés, ni que fos uns segons. Mentrestant, vam deixar l'escopeta i observant antics rinocerons dissecats que estiraven la testa des dels murs envellits dels salons, vam glosar l'esperit de la bèstia a través dels exemples ja morts. In the fracas that may well overcome me, piling up of absurdities that besiege me, I know I'd see the plainest girl as lovely, and I'd adapt in order not to die. 
I know I'd work on movement, on how I walk, so that my footsteps differed from my neighbours, and still, with all that past shame round my neck, I'd keep the just pride of the heretic. I'd be the ex-con for eternity, the man whose failures were where he excelled. And between people's taunts and clemency, I'd think no one would sniff out my bad smell. In this way, still, ridiculous pauper, I'd laugh, not through madness, but because I know it's nectar. En el fracàs que em pot sobrevenir, cúmul de despropòsits que m'assetja, sé que hi veuria vella la més lletja i que m'adaptaria a no morir. Sé que treballaria el gest, la petja, on distingia el meu peu del del veí i encara amb la vergonya de la i em permetria el just orgull d'heretge. Seria l'exconvicte eternament, aquell que va assolir només defectes i entre clemència i burla de la gent creuria que ningú m'ensuma infecte. Encara així, ridícul indigent, riuria, no per foll, sinó perquè en sé el nèctar. Un dia, hi haurà un poema to bring me fame while satisfying zeal in its caprice, a great poem that sets the heart aflame and lifts the soul and brings the mind some peace, a perfect mix of the comic and dramatic, intimate and at the same time majestic. Failing, meanwhile, I cheat anxiety by writing a disgraceful counterfeit, sober and unaffected, whose remit shall be that it will maintain constancy. <laughs> By neutralizing excess petulance, I shall achieve the art that goes unnoticed, the insignificant, the flimsy and diminished, the apotheosis of irrelevance. Hi haurà un poema que em donarà fama tot satisfent l'afany vel·leïtós. Un poemot d'aquells que el cor inflama i eleva l'ànim i escampa les pors. Un mix perfecte de comèdia i drama, íntim i al mateix temps majestuós. Mentre no l'assoleixo, distrec l'ànsia i escric un simulacre dissolut, ben sobri i senzillet, que sa virtut serà que no voldrà deixar constància. Neutralitzant l'excés de petulància, assoliré l'art desapercebut, l'insignificant, minso i diminut, l'apoteosi de la irrellevància. La blindnessa de l'amor, la tormenta de la passió, means that I try to reach you constantly, without reason, and when some chore keeps us apart, I feel the strange terror of losing all support, and I'm nearly gripped by fear. 
That's why I want to embrace you until that union melds with the strife that's wasting me into being more you than myself. And interwoven and enmeshed, we cling to each other, strangled by our embrace and stifled in a kiss. La ceguesa d'estimar-te, el torment de la passió, fa que busqui el teu contacte constantment, sense raó. I quan un tràfec t'aparta, sento l'estranya besarda de perdre el meu sustentacle i quasi m'agafa por. Per això vull abraçar-te fins a aglomerar la unió amb la punya que em descarna per ser més tu que no jo, i entreteixits i fets xarxa adherir-nos l'un a l'altre escanyats en l'abraçada i ofegats en un petó. huge thank you for having me. You are really so nice in this amazing place I am glad to discover. So first of all, uh, I'll read in English and then you, uh, for you to follow Lithuanian. It's uh, the oldest Indo-European language and uh, three million people in the world only speaks it. Freedom Boulevard. In the old town house where my grandmother lived between the wars and my father was born, under the loft in which they starved, a trendy restaurant has set up shop. I attend the opening, standing with a pretentiously prepared food in my mouth and a strange feeling of guilt in my belly for only the ceiling separates this space from the one in which she left her note. Lifting a glass with a banded hand, I celebrate life for both of us. So this one is really autobiographical and the place in Konas in my native town, uh, it's the main street uh, Freedom Boulevard, it exists, and so after you celebrate life, even for those, I think for even those uh, people, our relatives who left us earlier, it makes you feel free. Lais Vesalea. Sanamestia. Name, kuriame tarpukariu gyveno mano močiutė ir gimėtėvas Papalėbė, kurioje jie badavo, įrengtas naujas madingas restoranas, kurio atidarėme aš su įmantriausių maistų burnoje ir keistos kaltės jausmų pilve. Tik klubomis te atskirto nuo erdvės, kurioje jį paliko raštelį. Žieduota ranka kelių taurė prie lūpų ir švenčių gyvenimą. Už mūsų. Abi.
and this one is called Sight. I think we all feel that kind of moments in our life. <laughs> I don't know, we, some maybe 10 or some thousands of them, but, but I think you will recognize that feeling I'm talking about. There are days when it's so hard, so vain to swallow even a gulp. Days when I lack the strength to be dazzled by the fragrance of flowers leaning towards you. All of it exists for a moment to remain, as when a bee flies by with advice. One, two, three, open your eyes. And you see the taut, shining strings of being, quivering, diaphanous threads, stretching up high from every animate thing. Later, there will be more long days. But some gifts are too large to be nicely wrapped. Regimas. Būna dienų, kai nuryti gurkšnį toks sunkus berkščias darbas. Dienų, kai svaigintis tave linkstančio žiedo klopų derme. Nėra jėgų. Visa tai tam, kad ištiktų akimirkos, kai praskrendantį bidę perspėją. Vienas, du, trys. Atsimerk. Ir pamatai įtemptą, švydinčią būties stygą, tuos vos virpančius, peregimus siūlus besidrėkinčius aukštin nuo kiekvienos krūtančios gyvasties. Paskui vėl būna ilgos, ilgos dienas. Juk esti dovanų per didelių, kad būtų dailiai pakuotas. Lėna. As I said, you cannot lie in poetry. So, um, I really met this woman. I heard this story. Uh, I worked as a waitress when I was 15 and I was saving for my first computer. But I didn't remember her name. So, <laughs> so I gave her a name. But maybe it's, it's not a big lie in the poetry. <laughs> Lena. The resort cafes cook Lena leans smoking against the door jamb. Through the curtain of rain, a look sharp as a knife pierces the sea, cutting fish not yet caught. The pockets of her soaking wet apron are empty. She just returned the key. A fish with sharp teeth adorns the cafe sign. The signature dish here, uha, fish soup. The sound from the kitchen of fish heads being severed. Chop, chop, chop. The owner's lover wipes her hands on her jeans. Young snitch with hair the color of the sun. Lena's handbag with a broken zipper holds three lukewarm cutlets. Dinner for her two daughters and herself. The last bus home leaves in two hours. Lena. 
Kurorto kavinukės virėja Lėna rūkydama atsilošė į lauko durus taktą. Per lietaus portierai jūras minga žvilgsnis it peilis, išskrosdamas dar nepagautą žuvis. Kiaurai permerkto žiursnelio su žirniukais kišenės tuščios, jį ką tik su visam atidavė raktą. Kurorto kavinukės iškabai aštredantė žuvis. Čia firminis patiekalas – UH. Virtuvė girdėti kapojamos lydekų galvos – čak, čak, čak. Savininko mylužė nusivalo rankas į džinsus. Jaunutės skundikė saulės palvos plaukais. Lienos rankinėje sugedusi už trūktukų šalą trys nukvelpti kotletai. Vakarienė du kroms ir sau. Paskutinis autobusas į namus. Uždėjų valandų. And the last one. I know you all been... I think, like, tired after so, so many, like, beautiful poems. I'll probably be a skinny old woman. It starts with um, lines by Paul Eluard. Ripping open her kisses and her fears, she awakes at night to be astonished by everything that has changed her. In 2055, I'll probably be a skinny old woman and I won't take up much space on buses and in queues. In half a century, only the bathroom mirror and doctors will look at my body. I'll only be touched by sweaty nightgowns torn at the underarm. Then, before I fall asleep, I will remember the taste of my lover's tongue and saliva and all the men who wanted me long ago and how the bed cracks when two lie upon it. When I wrote it, I was 18 and it seemed that 2055, it's, it's some kind of a date from, I don't know, like a fantasy film or something, and now this time is getting closer and closer. And in Lithuanian it sounds like this. Greičiausiai būsiu lėsą senę. Kokiais 2055-aisiais? Greičiausiai būsiu lėsą senę ir užimsiu mažai vietos autobusuose ir eilėse. Už pusės amžiaus į mano kūną atižiūrės vonios veitrodis ir daktarai. Prie manęs lėsis tik praplyšę naktiniai marškiniai, sudiržusia pažastim. Tuomet, prieš užmygdama, aš prisiminsiu mylimojo lėžų vyrio seilių skonį. Ir visus kitus vyrus, kurie manęs kadaise geidė. Ir dar, kaip kirkšdalova, į kurią sugulama po du. Thank you.
Um, I'd just like to say uh, a really wholehearted thank you to all our five poets for taking us on such a wonderful uh, journey across um, Europe and uh, through languages and words. It's been really fabulous. So thank you from me, and I'm sure all the audience agree. I could hear that in the wonderful applause that we had then. Thank you.